In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. My wife said to me one time, Derek, all you've done your whole life is tell people about Jesus. I said, that's it. That's all that really matters. When the clouds roll back like a scroll and the world catches fire. Thank you for the invitation to be with you. I'm actually kind of an honorary member because I'm, I'm part of the group Welcome to our online church as well. Uh, my wife and I uh, join you on a fairly regular basis, and we're blessed by your ministry. So thank you to Pastor Ron Kelly down there in El Salvador this weekend and the rest of the pastoral staff. Thanks to each one of you because it happens because of your commitment to share the gospel with the world. We've got 77 channels in Hope Channel. Uh, we've got our Director of International Development, Joe Sloan's right back there. Joe, good to see you this morning. And our Senior Evangelist, Christopher Holland, right here on row five. Christopher, got some exciting plans for next year for evangelism. Uh, our most recent channels, Hope Channel Sudan and Hope Channel Kabil. I had to look that up. That's not a country. Kabil is a language that the Berber people, people speak in North Africa. There's about seven to nine million who speak Kabil. Uh, MENA, which is our Middle East North Africa Union, decided that uh, not only having country-based channels but language-based channels, uh, they believe that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all the nations, and then Jesus is coming back. Just in India, and Joe can keep me updated here, the last stats I had, Hope Channel India was broadcasting in 12 languages, 25 languages it changed, with the goal to broadcast in 50 languages by 2025. Amen? God is doing some amazing things, and we're excited. This is your evangelistic media network around the world, Hope Channel International. We're just so excited what God's doing, and I just want to personally invite you, if you didn't sign up for the Impact Day tomorrow, there is a lunch starting at noon for those who signed up, but from 2 to 4.30, we're going to share with you what your global evangelistic media network is doing around the world. It's amazing. Even in places like Hope Channel Ukraine, we're partnering with ADRA. People can call not only for prayer, but for evacuation, for food. Let's God's people say amen. amen. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and I've been so blessed in the few hours I've been with you to hear about all of your missionary activities, Pastor. It's exciting. And, and our principal, the, the school trips you're doing, very exciting. We are just so bl blessed to be with you today. And even if you didn't sign up, come by tomorrow afternoon at 2. You'll be incredibly blessed to hear what God's doing. But I'm excited that I can share God's word with you today. And I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we were already so greatly blessed in our worship time today. Just so thankful for the, the singing and for the music that we just heard. God, our hearts are lifted heavenward. And now as we take some time to reflect upon your word, I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would be in our midst and in our hearts. Teach us a vital lesson that you have for each one of us today. 
I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you read the gospel record and then move into the book of Acts, you discover that the church is growing exponentially. From 120 in the upper room to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, and by Acts chapter 5, 5,000 men, plus women and children, we've got a church of 15, 20,000 people, and the church is growing rapidly. And they're handling everything in common. So they bring their gifts. You remember Barnabas sold some land, brought it, laid it at the apostles' feet. They're, they're living together while they're learning more about the gospel message. They'll go back to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. But during that time, they face a challenge. The challenge is one of the logistics of distributing food to 15 to 20,000 people. And apparently, some people are left out, and there's some complaining. <laughs> and guided by the Holy Spirit, the apostles gather the community, and they decide to delegate responsibility to seven leaders so that the apostles can devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Those seven leaders are named in the book of Acts, and we're going to focus on one of them. And the lesson we will learn is that God has an extraordinary plan for your life. Perhaps the best known of the seven is a man named Stephen. You've heard of him. He was the first Christian martyr. But I want you to notice that the other six deacons are named. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. I've described the challenge in the first part of chapter 6, but I'd like to pick up in verse 5. Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. The saying, that is to delegate responsibility so that the apostles can devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and what's the next name? Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Now, <laughs> most of us don't know anything about what those other deacons did. We assume that they did what they were asked to do, which was handle the food logistics. But I want to focus on one individual named there, Philip the deacon. Now, what do we know about him? We know he had a good reputation, was full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. But as Esther read in our scripture reading, let's go over to Acts chapter 8 now and pick up the story in verse 4. One of the deacons, Stephen by name, has just been stoned to death. Saul, a fierce uh, enemy of the cause of Christ, was watching the clothes while they stoned Stephen. And now the people of God are scattered. I want you to notice picking up in verse 4. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, doing what? Looking for caves to hide in and thickets to hide under. What does it say in your Bible? They went everywhere. You see, they had a message to proclaim because they believed that this message, as Jesus said, needed to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to, to 
to the whole world. So they went everywhere preaching Christ. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 8. Then Philip, which Philip? Not Philip the apostle, but Philip the deacon, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now that may sound okay to us. We say, oh, that's nice. But during that time, the Jews didn't go to Samaria. If, if someone wanted to travel from Galilee in the north to Judea in the south, Samaria was in between. They would cross over the River Jordan into Decapolis, go down through Perea, and then cross back over the River Jordan to get into Judea. They didn't want to go through Samaria. Why did Philip the deacon go to Samaria? Answer, because that's what Jesus asked them to do. Jerusalem, Judea, and? So he goes to Samaria. Now, may I remind you, this is Philip the deacon who's been asked to be in charge of food distribution. Verse 6 of Acts 8, the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Apparently, Philip believed that God had an extraordinary plan for his life. And whatever the Lord asked him to do, Philip would do. Now, if the story ended there, you would say, that's amazing. I mean, this deacon in charge of food distribution is now preaching, healing in the name of Jesus, casting out demons, bringing joy to an entire city. If things ended there, you'd say, well, God had an extraordinary plan for Philip's life. Amen? He definitely was not just playing it safe, trying to stay out of trouble till Jesus came back. But the story doesn't end there. If you continue on in the book of Acts, in verse 26 of chapter 8, is a story that some of you may know. But I want you to notice the first phrase in Acts 8, verse 26, if you're following along in your Bible. Now, what does it say in your Bible? Now, what? An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Wait a minute, I thought he was just a deacon who was supposed to take care of food distribution, but now he's preaching and he's casting out demons, healing people in the name of Jesus, and now an angel is speaking to him. God had an extraordinary plan for his life. An angel spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. What's the next sentence? So the logical question, by the way, in case you didn't hear, this is desert. The logical question would be, why would you want me to do that? That's desert. But notice the next verse. So he, that is Philip, so he did what? Now, if we would just learn from Philip today, if you want God's extraordinary plan to be fulfilled in your life, when God asks you to do something, do it. Go down on the road to Gaza. Well, he does. Heads down on the road to Gaza. This is desert. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. This is like uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. What would we call that here in the United States of America? 
important, right? Okay. <laughs> He'd come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, I want you to just have a little background because in a minute he's going to ask to be baptized. This man loves God. He's studying the scriptures. He's come to Jerusalem to worship, but he doesn't know that Messiah has come yet. So he's reading the scriptures. It's a book of Isaiah about he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He doesn't understand what it's saying. Now, the Spirit of God impressed Philip, verse 29, saying to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Now, I don't know how fast chariots go, but maybe he even got a little supernatural help to run that fast. So he overtakes the chariot, and maybe panting a little, he says, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> and the Ethiopian official looks down and says, how can I understand unless someone will teach me, someone will help me understand? The Bible says, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Oh, man. Now, it doesn't tell us everything he said, but he must have started at the beginning with the incarnation and the ministry of Jesus and, and then the commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, right? He must have got to that place because the eunuch says, okay, I want to be a follower of Jesus. There's some water. What is preventing me from being baptized? He must have learned about that baptism, right? What's preventing me from being baptized? Now, <laughs> I, I looked at a map from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, by the way, the Bible says it was desert. desert, right? I don't see any water there. Now, maybe someone who's an expert in the topography of that area will say, yeah, there are a couple of uh, oases along the way. But I want to tell you, a God who can part the Red Sea can create an oasis if needed. Amen. And the Ethiopian goes, whoo, there's water. This is desert, but there's water. Can we be baptized? Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's it, right there. That's the confession that saves so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Bible baptism, right? Not just sprinkle a little water, but down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, if it ended there, you'd say, well, God had an extraordinary plan for Philip's life, but, but I want you to notice verses 39 and 40. Now, when they came up out of the water, what does it say in your Bible? Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, what does it say? The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Now, earlier we've had an angel say, go here. We've had the Spirit of God say, overtake the chariot. But now the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more. But the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. And by the way, studies of the early Christian church, it's very likely that the impact of Christianity in Ethiopia came as a result of this Ethiopian official. So he went on his way rejoicing. 
sharing the truth about Jesus. But what does it say happened to Philip? The Spirit, the Lord, Spirit of the Lord, caught Philip away. But Philip, verse 40, was found at Azotus. Does anybody have any idea where Azotus is? You say, never heard of it. Have to Google it after church. But I estimate maybe from the Gaza road, Jerusalem to Gaza, I don't know how straight the road was there. If you went to Azotus, which is uh, to the northwest, maybe 15 miles. Philip was hyperspaced from a chariot to Azotus. <laughs> you say, okay, that happens to me all the time, right? But that would be a great place for Philip to just stop and say, whew, I just got hyperspaced from the Gaza road to Azotus. I think I'm going to go home and tell everybody about the amazing things that have happened. But Philip is still following God's plan for his life. The Bible says, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, there's two Caesareas. There's Caesarea Philippi, which is northeast of the Sea of Galilee. That's not the one we're talking about. There's a Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast called Caesarea Maritime. And, and he preaches all the way up the Mediterranean coast until he gets to Caesarea. If his story ended there, would you agree with me that God had an extraordinary plan for his life? I mean, he could have just, nothing wrong with food distribution, by the way, but he's continuing to go wherever the Lord asks him to go. If the story ended there, you'd say that's remarkable, but there's one more verse in Acts 21, if you're following along with me. One more mention of Philip in the scriptures. I'd like to meet him when we get to the kingdom. What does it feel like to be hyperspaced from a road to Gaza all the way to Azotus? I don't know. But in Acts 21, verses 8 and 9, Dr. Luke is writing, and he says, this is the end of the third missionary journey. On the next day, we who were with Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, and entered the house of, what does it say in your Bible? Entered the house of? Philip. He got upgraded. <laughs> He's not just called Philip the deacon anymore. May still have been working as a deacon too. But it calls him Philip the evangelist. But lest you get confused and say, oh, that must be Philip the apostle. No. Philip the evangelist who was one of? So he's one of the seven deacons, right? And stayed with him. Now, if the story ended there, you say, amazing. What an amazing plan God had for his life. But I want you to notice verse 9. It's great to see you following along in your Bibles, by the way. Now, this man, that's Philip, deacon evangelist. Now, this man, what does it say about him? He had four virgin daughters who prophesied. <laughs> 
Now, the Bible scholars can help me whether that means they were four daughters, each having the gift of prophecy. They prophesied. That's one possible explanation. Or four virgin daughters who were preachers, who prophesied, who spoke for God. Which one do you think it was? Would you agree with me either way? This is a pretty amazing family. What a tribute to Philip the deacon slash evangelist that he has four daughters who not only are supportive of the Christian faith, they are active promoters of the Christian faith. Amen? I'm looking forward to meeting Philip the deacon evangelist. And I would just testify to you today, just from our study, that God had an extraordinary plan for Philip's life. Would you agree with me? But here's the important message for you today and for me. God has an extraordinary plan for your life. I want to thank the musicians again. Thank you to the pianist. Thanks to the cellist, wherever you are. Thanks to the clarinetist. I've never heard a person play a clarinet quite that enthusiastically before. That was awesome. To the glory of God, amen? amen? Don't let anybody tell you you are supposed to just stay out of trouble until Jesus comes. God has an extraordinary plan for your life. I met Helen some years ago. I was invited to go and hold some evangelistic meetings in a refugee camp on the Thai-Myanmar border. I met Helen there. Helen, uh, well, you'd say she caught a glimpse of God's extraordinary plan even after she finished college because her first assignment, having studied in Australia, she went to Papua New Guinea as a teacher and administrator. But then she came back to Australia and had a distinguished career as an educator. In her 40s, Helen said, I think I'd like to devote a year to do something special for God. Now, I just want to pay tribute to all of our teachers, and some of you are here. I thank God for every teacher that's blessed my life. What about you? My second form teacher, that's grade two here in America. I was in the UK. My second form teacher changed my life forever. So I thank God for Helen. If she'd stayed there in Australia, a dedicated Christian teacher, that would have been awesome, right? But she said, I'd like to go somewhere. I'd like to go maybe to the mountains. There's not too many mountains in the south of Australia. But I'd like to go to the mountains, maybe Nepal. Well, she ended up in a refugee camp, not in Nepal, but on the border between Myanmar and Thailand. First, trying to found a school in Myanmar, but so much shooting and bombing, they, they escaped across the river into some no-man's land in Thailand. They established a camp there, and she started a school in the camp. They said she will not survive maybe three months, then she's going home. She has been there for more than 40 years. You can go and Google Eden Valley Academy. I communicated with Helen just a couple of weeks ago. She watches Hope Sabbath School with her team every week. 
And she said, we currently have, would you like to guess how many students they have at Eden Valley Academy in the refugee camp in no man's land? 960 students. They can't go back into Myanmar because there's too much fighting. They're not allowed into Thailand. There is a there's a, like a perimeter around this refugee camp. By the way, the camp has over 30,000 residents. And in the middle is a light for Jesus. Somebody ought to say amen. Eden Valley Academy. People ask, Helen, why, why don't you go home? By the way, I held some meetings. That's, that's, that's a portion of the school that I was speaking to, the younger grades. Here's some of the older students. Helen, why don't you go home somewhere safe? She said, well, most of my friends back home are dead. <laughs> She's in her 80s now. And plus, if I left, who would come? Who would come? She received an honorary doctorate from a university not far from here. Like, what, a mile? She also received the Order of Australia Medal for humanitarian service. But those things don't mean a lot to Helen. This is what means a lot to Helen. She shared with me, and of course, you know, these are primarily Buddhists, animists. She shared with me that during her years of service, 1,500 young people have been baptized and accepted Jesus as their Savior. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not very many. Divide 40 into 1,500. Let me tell you, each one of those is a precious child of God. And so she stays an extraordinary life following God's extraordinary plan. Pray for Helen, will you? They still experience great hardship there in that uh, Mela refugee camp on the border between Thailand and Myanmar. But what an extraordinary life. Still happens today, but can I remind you that God not only had an extraordinary plan for Helen's life, but God has an extraordinary plan for your life. Do you believe me yet? Michael had an ambition to be a famous soccer player. I got a picture of Michael when he was little. That's Michael right there. He had some brothers and a sister, ended up, uh, I think, with another brother too. But he just, that's him with the blue hat. He... He just wanted to be a soccer player, and uh, he must have had some natural talent. In fact, when he went to visit the airport, he pointed at an airplane. Maybe he was saying, that's the plane I'm going to fly in when I go and play in the World Cup. Well, he, uh, he didn't know yet, but God had an extraordinary plan for his life. He went to university, um, had, had the ambition to be part of a telecommunications company that was growing in his area there, distinguished career, but God had something else in mind. God invited him to start studying about health evangelism. That's not really related that much to soccer. I suppose exercise, right? Got an invitation to come to the United States of America and study at Heartland College, health evangelism, and I met him a few weeks ago. 
Some of you may know Pastor Michael Kusarawana. Why are you laughing? You say, he's our assistant pastor. Stand up, pastor. Come on over here. Did you know he was going to be a famous soccer player? <laughs> I was so excited when Michael shared his story with me. I asked for some pictures, didn't I? I don't, don't you love those pictures? So cute. <laughs> what would you say caused you to, to make such a drastic turn in your life from working for a company in Zimbabwe, maybe playing soccer and becoming famous? What, what caused the turn for you? How did you discover God's extraordinary plan? Yeah, that is a good question. So I remember a day when I was watching, it was a youth camp, and I was watching uh, some souls giving their lives to Christ, and they went to, for baptism after, after that. And I was watching from a distance as they were being baptized, and my tears started coming down mm. my eyes. And you know, from that moment, it made an impression in my heart that that is the most fulfilling work that I want to do and to spend the rest of my life doing. And just alluding to the soccer, now I play for, for a great team. We're always scoring, and uh, we, <laughs> we're playing for a team that has already won the game already. So there's, there's no better team to play for than being... You know, Pastor Michael, thank you for sharing about the tears running down your cheeks. Don't, don't leave just yet. I, I, I didn't really think about this, but don't you think that Philip had tears running down his cheeks when he's baptizing that Ethiopian official? Praise God. Praise God. Took a lot of courage to leave your home country. Uh, you, didn't, you, you didn't really have any connections here. You, you stepped forward in faith. So what does God have in store for you for the future? You're still a very young man. Moses began his big work at 80. <laughs> what do you think God has in store for you? That's right. So it's more ministry. I remember a statement that was, um, that was said by one of my mentors um, when I was back home. He said, my measure of success is a sole one for Christ. So my future, as long as God gives life and strength, would like to see more lives being drawn to the foot of the cross and prepare for his coming. Praise God. Me as the instrument of God together with many others. Praise God. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pastor Michael. Let's thank God for Pastor Michael, shall we? Amen. Thank you so much. God had an extraordinary plan for Michael's life, and it's just getting started. And God has an extraordinary plan for your life. I remember when Cipriano uh, wrote to me, um, he shared an amazing story with me. He was watching Hope Sabbath School, actually, and he wrote to me, and I said, Cipriano, we need to, we need to hear your story. Here's a picture of the young man. He lives in California. And, and perhaps looking at him today, you go, oh, he looks good. Wish my life was simple and untroubled like Cipriano's, but I'd like you to listen to his story and believe that God doesn't give up on anyone. God has an extraordinary plan for everyone's life. As a child, being mm -hmm. taunted and teased in school left me emotionally scarred. As a result, I spent my childhood mostly in seclusion. I only preferred being in the care of my grandparents and great-grandparents. Altogether, they raised me with unconditional love. Initially, I was a kind and respectful kid, 
However, my life and personality changed when I was 15 years old. At 15, I began standing up for myself, striking back against verbal and physical attacks from fellow students. As a lone wolf, fighting made me socially accepted to those who once targeted me. My tormentors had now become my associates. Around this period, I was introduced to different drugs and worst of all, alcohol. After experimenting, alcohol became my drug of choice, a substance I abused severely. On the other hand, my aspirations in life stemmed from writing poetry and I used this talent as a lyricist, joining a band that a few of my associates had formed. My daily life was dominated by the pattern of drinking or doing everything necessary to obtain alcohol. When I wasn't indulging with my bandmates, I resorted to stealing it from family members and shoplifting booze from local liquor stores. In time, I moved out of my grandparents and dropped out of school. Despite my lack of education, I was always lucky to land a job, but each position was short-lived. Wherever I went, the drink followed, and it affected my work performance negatively. The outcome of heavy drinking led to complications of my liver already at 19 years old. My medical record was staggering. I was admitted to the hospital and ended up in the emergency room countless times, all relating to alcoholism. As time went on, my goals to succeed in music no longer interested me, and I involved myself with dealing drugs. This allowed me to maintain a full-time job as a drunk. Because of addiction, I had become everything I despised. I became verbally and physically aggressive in my blackout episodes. For years, I drank myself into oblivion, awaking with no memory whatsoever of the days prior. My girlfriend, who was my best friend of 20 years, she separated from me, and most of my family had cut ties with me. This broke my heart, and I was becoming suicidal and manic depressed. In truth, alcohol is a depressant, which magnified my mental anguish. The only thing I hated more than myself was addiction itself. Around 25 years old, my health declined rapidly, and I missed being welcomed in the household of unconditional love. Alcoholism destroyed me. I was ashamed of what my life had become. I wanted out of this misery. I decided to stop drinking and quit dealing drugs completely, cutting off all connections that came with that territory. I reached out to my grandparents and they welcomed me back home with open arms. My grandparents and I were not prepared for what would take place when I returned home. Many people are not aware that alcohol is the only substance that can kill a severe alcoholic upon withdrawing from it. Alcohol withdrawal became my death sentence. I didn't know it at the time, but I was suffering from delirium tremens, also known as DTs. Most people are not aware of DTs because around 80% of severe alcoholics who endure it do not live to tell about it, and only 20% will survive it. Delirium tremens is the beginning of the end, whereupon the attempt to withdraw from alcohol, the organs begin shutting down. This gradual decline is accompanied by the most terrifying hallucinations of both sight and sound. These hallucinations last until death, usually by a heart attack or a massive stroke. Worst of all, these hallucinations have a demonic aspect to it, consisting of ghostly and demon-like apparitions, including the horror of hearing voices that aren't there. My life was hanging by a thread, I was a skeletal mess, weighing less than 100 pounds. My heart was pounding out of my chest to no end. I had multiple seizures, and my body twitched uncontrollably. 
I was passing blood and I couldn't sleep or eat. My nana and great-grandmother nursed me to the best of their ability as these hallucinations terrorized me day and night. I refused medical emergency because I didn't want to die in a hospital. I wanted to pass away in the love and care of my grandparents. Time was running out and my grandmothers began teaching me about Jesus. They prayed for me and comforted me with the good news. The good news is that Jesus was sent to save and serve humanity, rescuing the lost sheep, people like me. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven. The life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus gave the world the gift of salvation and redemption, whereby broken lives are transformed by God through Christ himself. Once we surrender ourselves, we receive the greatest gift of all, a meaningful existence and eternal life with Jesus and the Father. Every time I prayed, I felt empowered with strength and I accepted Christ as my savior. Not long after, my grandfather hooked up an old television for me. He thought perhaps watching some TV would distract me from my condition as I lay bedridden. It was the day that changed my life forever. When I turned on the TV, I happened upon a program on the Hope Channel. The program was called Hope Sabbath School, an in-depth interactive study of the Word of God. Daily devotion to reading my Bible saved my life. I was so drawn to Hope Sabbath School. I could feel the Holy Spirit working through the Hope Channel. I could feel the Lord reaching out to me. The Hope Channel became my church, my education. It became a part of my healing process. I was 25 when I had my brush with death. It's been almost 10 years later, and the Hope Channel has been a part of my life every step of the way, and I have remained clean and sober ever since. Even though I'm damaged with a permanent heart condition after surviving alcoholism, I feel reborn with a brand new heart, a heart that is filled with thankfulness, peace, God's grace, and his unconditional love, and I love Jesus with my whole heart. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Every time I watch that, I just am amazed. He should have died a decade ago. But God had an extraordinary plan for Cipriana's life. Not just to be alive, <laughs> but to live forever. Precious child of the king. My friend, God has an extraordinary plan for each of our lives. That's what he sent me to share with you today. Wherever you are on your journey, God has an extraordinary plan. Can we learn from Philip? When the angel of the Lord or the Lord himself says, do this, you do it? (laughs) Can we give him permission sometimes to give us directions that don't always make sense to us, but make perfect sense to him? 
Could we get past the attitude that we're just here to try to survive until Jesus comes and say, God, I'm available. Whatever your extraordinary plan is, I'm open. We're going to sing a song. Those, our choristers are coming out here. It's uh, 623 in your hymnal, but I'm going to make an appeal. The song says, I will follow thee, my Savior, whatsoever my lot may be. And, and while we're singing that song, and we'll be standing while we sing, I want to give you an opportunity just to make a decision today. For some, by the way, you know what God's most extraordinary plan is for you? He wants to save you forever in his eternal kingdom. But many of us have already accepted his saving grace. We've trusted Jesus as our Savior, but we're just kind of hanging on in this troubled world. I want to invite you today to take a walk of faith and say, God, you had an extraordinary plan for Philip. <laughs> you had an extraordinary plan for Helen and Pastor Michael and Cipriano. And I know you have an extraordinary plan for me. I want to invite you while the choristers are leading our song. I will follow thee, my Savior. I want to have the courage to slip out of your pew and come forward. And I don't know. You say, Derek, what will happen to me? I have no idea. <laughs> but you are in no better place than in the hands of your loving God and his extraordinary plan for you. Let's stand together as our song leaders come forward. And as the Spirit of God leads you to say, yes, I'm going to make a, a decision to let God work his extraordinary plan in my life. Just slip out and come forward. Don't, don't wait for someone else. Don't be ashamed. Say, Lord, I'm going to make that decision. Some are coming right now, just as we sing, I will follow thee, my Savior.